No handouts. Let's look at, first of all, Philippians 3. It's going. Philippians chapter 3, we'll go there. I'm going to say a quick prayer, get us started, and then we'll get going. So, Father, thanks for the opportunity to do this. Help us learn a lot and grow in knowledge and honor you with that knowledge and help us use it to serve your kingdom and that it would produce good fruit in our lives. Help us apply it and take action on it. And thank you for giving me wisdom, too, to know what to say and how to say it so it's clear and understandable and well-received in your name. Amen. Okay, so like I said, Philippians chapter 3, and we will start in verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Everyone hear me okay? okay? But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, we'll stop there for Philippians 3. I read that passage because this is one of the most famous places in the New Testament where Paul speaks to his focus on Jesus. And that his one goal, if he were to sum it all up and throw everything else out, is to know Christ. Right? He's putting Jesus first. That's the simplest way of putting this. Now, Last week, one of the things we went over was the basics of building unity in the body of Christ and the importance of the church, the importance of having believers around you and in your life. To continue that theme, we're talking about how serving the body of Christ or serving other believers is equivalent to serving Christ. So when we're saying, let's put Jesus first, like Paul says here, the way that you do that is by putting people first. That's what it means to serve Christ first. We're going to look at scriptures that discuss that. But to break that down a little bit more before we get into that, I wanted to, to discuss Matthew 6.33 real fast. Keep in mind, remember, Paul is saying that the one thing that he does, the one focus that he has is to count everything else as loss, to gain Christ, know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings to be conformed to his death. That's his focus. Now, if you go to Matthew 6, 33, scripture, you guys, I'm sure you've all heard before. Jesus talks about not serving money, not worrying about food and drink or clothing, and finishes in verse 33 by saying, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The, these things that he's discussing is your natural provisions, your food, your water, your drink, your clothing, the things you need for natural life, right? He says to seek the kingdom first, and then all those things will be added to you. Now, Paul just got done saying his one pursuit is to know Christ. Jesus says that 
the priority given to us by him is to put the kingdom first. So we're putting Christ first, that is to know him. That's your personal relationship with him. The second is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. There's a difference between the two. Seeking first his kingdom is another way of saying prioritize what the kingdom prioritizes. The priority of God for his kingdom is that it would grow. And that is another way of saying he wants more people to come into his kingdom. He wants to grow the family in heaven and earth, right? That's the priority of the kingdom, the number one priority. And if you combine that with then his righteousness, that means live like a kingdom citizen lives. Righteousness is about your character, right? So tie those three things together. Know Christ. There's the relationship with him. Prioritize what his kingdom prioritizes, which is bringing people into the kingdom. And then three, living like a citizen of that kingdom. Live righteously, right? Who you know, who it's for, and how you live. If you sum it all up, that's what that means. Now, I mentioned before this that putting Christ first is equivalent to putting people first. And the reason why is because of this verse in Matthew 6.33. The kingdom, which is made up of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the angelic host, and people, plus a few other things we don't have to get into, makes up the kingdom of God. It's always about people. Now, you guys have probably heard of the, you know, common priorities ladder, if you will, where, you know, people will say God's first, and then it's like your spouse, and then your children, and then your job, and then your friends, and then like everything else, right? So that particular ladder, priorities, is not in scripture. There is only one focus, and that is Christ and his kingdom, period. There is no, I put God first, then my spouse second, then my kids third. No, it's, I, it's God, 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 right? Now, how you play that out is where we do have to talk about your spouse and your children and your family and your friends and your church and all that, right? Those conversations do have to come up. But the reason why they come up is because the kingdom requires that we have a marriage and a family and friendships and a work life that honors the kingdom, right? But the focus is the kingdom. So another way of putting this is described in Titus. So go to Titus chapter 2. We're laying some groundwork here. Titus chapter 2. In verse 5. Is where we'll start. Actually, 4. Yeah, verse 4. Titus chapter 2, verse 4. Says, talking about older women, that they should admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, if we pause there, Paul's talking about family life here. In this context, he's specifically dealing with women wives, right? He's saying, Women should be encouraged, love their husbands, love their children. Verse 5, then it says to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. There's home life again. Good and obedient to their, their own husbands. Pause there. Why? 
Why is all this important? The verse finishes with, so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Now, most in the world would typically say, okay, why love your spouse? Why love your children? Well, because it's best for them. Now, is that true? Yeah. You love your husband, your wife, your kids, that is going to be best for them. But that is not the motive for a believer. The motive, the number one focus we are to have is to have our families full of love and peace and joy and righteousness so that God's word isn't blasphemed. What that means is that people would not look at our families in a negative state and let that put a stain on what they believe about the gospel, right? That would be the word of God being blasphemed. In other words, if somebody, because of you, hates Jesus, that would be blaspheming Jesus, right? If somebody dislikes or has something negative to think about Jesus because of you, that's blaspheming Jesus, right? Some way in which you lived caused people to think something negative about what you believe, which is the word of God, right? That's blaspheming the word. So Paul is saying the reason why you need to love your spouse, the reason why you need to love your children, the reason why he's saying wives should be homemakers and keep homes godly and healthy is because if they're not, what happens? Yeah, that happens. <laughs> Makes God look bad. Exactly. It blasphemes the word of God, right? So again, seeking or putting first the kingdom is the reason behind even family life itself. The kingdom being honored. It's honor being upheld and known by everyone on the planet is the reason behind this. That's the whole point, right? So if we go back to that ladder of priorities, put God first, family second. No, it's God is always first. If he is put first, what happens? By necessity, your family will be arranged in such a way that it will honor God and the kingdom as a result. That's why putting God first is so important, right? So then you change gears and go down to verse 10 in Titus 2, or 9, excuse me, chapter, or verse 9 of chapter 2, he says, now he's talking about work life. Exhort bond servants. Think of this as being an employee. Encourage employees to be obedient to their own masters. That's your boss or your employer, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. That's not talking back when you're told to do something, right? Not pilfering, not, uh, but showing all good fidelity to the reason, again, here's why, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Again, what's the motive? Why have a great work ethic? Why submit to your boss? Because if you do, it makes God's word look good. That's what it's saying. And if you're not doing that, it makes God's word, what you believe, look bad. Who's being put first in all this? God is being put first. This is honoring the kingdom. This is putting first the kingdom. This is putting Christ first and everything, right? So he just got done talking about 
your family. Then he talks about your work. And you'll notice there's this pattern in scripture where when you read, especially like first Peter. So first Peter, the whole first chapter of first Peter is all about you and God, your relationship with God, the knowing Christ part, right? You get into chapter two, then he starts getting into you and other believers. And then he starts talking about your submission to government and then your boss. And then if you're a wife, your submission to your husband, then he starts talking about the church a little bit more. And you, if you follow that pattern, you'll notice everywhere in the new Testament, the, the, the main epistles that you'll read, which is like Colossians and Ephesians and first uh, Peter and those types of books, Paul always, or the writers always start by talking about you and God first, always. And then immediately they always get into, okay, now you and God, how does that affect you and other believers? How does that affect you and your family? How does that affect you and your boss? Right? But they always start with you and God because that's the priority. And if you and God are right, that is going to positively affect, permeate every other area of your life. The way that a lot of believers put this wrongly so is that we think putting God first and the rest second is like that means, let's say first thing in the morning, I get my Bible and prayer time. But then the rest of your day, if that doesn't, the effect of that relationship, if that doesn't spread into your work and your family and everything else, were you putting God first? No. Maybe he was first as a point in your schedule, but he wasn't first in your life. Right? And Christ needs to be, be, needs to be put first in your life, in how you treat your spouse and how you treat your kids and how you treat your boss and your coworkers and other believers. Right? Now, Jesus states this as so, so important, especially when it comes to other believers, that he says life and death hangs in the balance when we're talking about how you treat other people and especially how you treat other believers, right? Go to Matthew chapter 25 and we'll learn about this. Matthew chapter 25. Again, as I mentioned earlier, Putting Christ first is equivalent or serving Christ first is equivalent to serving people first because if you're honoring Christ, you'll honor everyone else, right? So Jesus discusses this in Matthew 25. He's talking about entrusting responsibility to servants and then he returns after a long journey and that's a reference to his second coming. And then he brings judgment and we have to give account. You start in verse 31 he begins talking about this, Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. This is a reference to believers and unbelievers. People are saved, people who are not saved. That's the sheep and the goats. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, here's the reason 
I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Uh, yeah, or, or naked and clothe you. Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you sum it all up, here's what Jesus is saying. You serving me or not is all about how you treated my people. In serving another believer, doing good to another believer, you are doing it to Jesus. And the reason why is discussed in Romans 12. We'll just read one, one or two verses out of there. Romans 12 in verse 5. Romans 12 verse 5 says, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. I'll read it again. We, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Similar language is used in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll turn there quick. 1 Corinthians 12 in Let's see where do I want to start this 12 yeah Rome, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 similar to Romans 12 says for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 there are saying that Christ is his body made up of many members. So, mistreating another believer, especially, is you mistreating him. Because it's he or she is a member of Christ's body. Imagine like Jesus in heaven as if we would go to him and physically injure a part of his body, which is impossible. Let's say we could do that. 
you mistreating a believer is that. It's injuring him because it's his body, right? That's why in Matthew 25, when he returns, he says, when you treated my brethren, that's other believers, good or bad, you're doing that to me. So if we're saying, I'm going to put Christ first, and Christ, he himself and his body, is his brethren, other believers, that would infer that in putting other believers first, we are putting Christ first. And in order to be able to treat believers well, yes, we have to know Christ and be in his word and grow in our intimacy with him through prayer and knowledge of the word of wisdom and all that. All that's important. That's all part of it, right? But again, for the purpose of Christ and his kingdom growing, being glorified, which requires that we treat believers well. So last week when we talked about the importance of having the body of Christ, the importance of having believers around you and being in fellowship and all that, that whole discussion, those are all ways that we serve other believers because scripture teaches that we need each other. We need fellowship, right? And so if we know that we as individuals need fellowship, then other believers need that too. And if we're denying each other of even that, simple privilege of gathering with each other, then that's a failure to serve Christ himself because his body is him. It's part of him, right? So again, putting other believers first is the same as putting Jesus first. To go back to when we were talking about family and household, just like having a godly family or healthy family situation is to honor the kingdom. It's the same way with believers. Serving other believers, being around other believers, building relationships, godly relationships with them is serving the kingdom. It's all with one focus the whole time. And practically putting other believers first, which is what we'll finish with, would of course be helping each other, serving each other, gathering often, as I said, submitting to each other, submitting to leadership, in that body. And this requires us to break down practicalities of what we talked about a little bit last week, which was when Acts chapter 2 talks about doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, we did go over the fact that fellowship is building friendships, gathering often. We also talked about how that includes in fellowship that you confess your sins to one another, you're honest with one another. We talked about being in agreement, sharing the same doctrine, and just having the accountability of being in each other's lives. We discussed some of that. I want to break it down a little bit further and just give you guys some practical steps to do this because sometimes those practicalities are needed. And we'll start by looking at Acts chapter 2 for that. And we will go from there. So Acts chapter 2 in verse 40. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 
and they continued steadfastly. This is determination, grit, devotion to this task. And he says that task is, oh, thank you, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer or prayers. Verse 43, we'll keep reading, says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's how chapter 2 of Acts finishes. So let's go back to verse 42. They continued steadfastly. I defined that for you guys. First, in the apostles' doctrine. Now, what does that look like? Now, he specifically says the apostles' doctrine because context, at this point in history, all the church had was the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament written down yet. It was just passed on orally from the apostles, the ones that walked with Jesus, right? Or ones who walked with the apostles who walked with Jesus. So that they had first-hand and second-hand witness. That was what they had. Plus the Old Testament scriptures, of course. And the apostles were the ones that were charged with the task of laying the foundation for the early church, which it has led to now us today, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. How do you live out following Jesus? What is the doctrine you're supposed to follow? The apostles were given the responsibility to give that teaching. That's why it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. For us, that's, that simply means the New Testament. The New Testament is the apostles' doctrine. right? Now, we also have the Old Testament, but the New Testament is based on the Old Testament, and therefore we have the, com- the completed Bible. right? The Old Testament has value. Always has, always will be. It's the foundation for the New Testament. But especially if you're a newer believer or a less mature believer or you just need a lot of nourishment for growth, the New Testament is most important because that's the Apostles' Doctrine, right? And that's why it's typically a good idea for you to get familiar with the New Testament before you start digging into the Old. I didn't know this early in my walk, and I was interested in stories in the Old Testament, which is still good that I read, but I became more familiar with the Old Testament first. And it was helpful for knowing what references to the Old Testament in the New Testament came from, but I didn't have a lot of understanding of who I was in Christ and how to live following Jesus until like a year or two late, because I thought I was supposed to know the whole Old Testament first, (laughs) you know. And they didn't understand it that way. In this generation, the apostles' doctrine for them was the New Testament, because that's where you learn about Jesus. That's where you learn about what Jesus taught to his apostles. So that always comes first. And practically, if you look at, this is in uh, Colossians 4. We'll turn there next. Colossians 4, how they lived this out 
practically is really valuable to see. So Colossians chapter 4 in verse 15, starting there. Colossians 4.15 says, Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So if we pause there, this tells you that believers definitely gathered in each other's homes. That's not the only place that they gathered, but it definitely happened. Right? Then it says, verse 16, Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. We'll pause there. This is where Paul states his reason for sending these letters the epistles, to the churches. It was so that they would read them. Go figure. <laughs> right? He wrote these things so that we would read them. Now, he's telling us that these are to be read in the church. So, continuing in the apostles' doctrine specifically means when you gather with believers, you read scripture together. And whatever is taught, whatever is discussed, extends from the reading of the Bible. Now, it's not wrong to have conversation topics that, let's say, are inspired by a scripture. Those make for great conversations, but we're not doing what Paul and God in scripture says to do if we're not reading scripture together. The absolute best way to teach the word and hear and understand the word is to have it taught to you from or out of reading it. That's simply what Paul says to do. So read it with other believers, read it on your own. It's part of the process, right? That's continuing in the Apostles' Doctrine. It's just a practical point there. We have to read it together. This, of course, includes obeying it as well. There was a expectation placed on the church to not only read it, but also live by it. Because the New Testament especially is full of actions that we can take. And that's what sets it apart from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has, besides the law of Moses, a lot of stories in it. And those stories make for great examples that are very relatable. But as soon as you get into the New Testament, you're reading about what we do on a daily basis. Right? And that, the doing of the word, was considered so important that it's stated pretty seriously in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, which is where we'll go next. This is just an additional practical point about the apostles' doctrine. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 6 is where we'll start. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 6 says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Look at how he says this, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That tradition is the apostles' doctrine, the New Testament. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. 
Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Verse 14, this is so key here. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Why did I read this? Because reading the scriptures was for the purpose of doing it, knowing what to do, obeying it, right? And then he goes on to say, this is after, of course, a grace period where believers are encouraged. If somebody is choosing not to follow along with the apostles' doctrine, they're not doing it. He says we're supposed to withdraw from them. And don't keep company with them, not as an enemy, but to admonish them as a brother. In other words, he's saying lovingly withdraw from this person so that in the process of experiencing that isolation, they'll hopefully be encouraged to change their ways so that they can be received back into the church again. This is done out of love. It's not done out of judgment, right? My main reason for reading this was simply that there is such a heavy emphasis placed on doing the word and obeying what it says that if a person was not growing, was not obeying, and they weren't at least working with other believers to try to grow, that was considered reason enough to withdraw from a person. This was like you, you didn't get by in the church if you weren't taking action. It just wasn't going to happen. That's how serious they were about this. Now, are believers today that serious about it? Unfortunately not, but we need to be. That's the apostles' doctrine. When you gather with believers, you read it and you teach from reading it. And then you help each other do it. And if you're not helping each other do it, that's a very dangerous place to be in. That's one of the reasons why we need each other, because we help each other do the work. Right? Amen? Then there's fellowship. Now we talked a lot about fellowship last week, but fellowship, just to remind you guys, is a Greek word that simply means close relationships. Fellowship is close relationships. To continue in relationships with other believers is to continue in and with the church. It's always about relationships. Now, Paul discusses this in some words to some elders in the book of Acts. In chapter 20 of Acts. Verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20 of Acts. Paul speaking, he's speaking to some elders, says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of other scriptures we can get into about what fellowship looks like practically, but this is one of my favorites simply because he says when he communicated with believers, 
and even unbelievers who then became believers. He says he taught them publicly. So this is like public squares, bigger gatherings where there were a lot of people. And then he says, and from house to house. First to get people saved and then after they were saved as part of the church. So he would teach people in gatherings like this, whether it was a bigger group or a smaller group, but then he would also be house to house. That means he would spend time individually with households. Right? So when you're reading in Acts chapter 2, like we read earlier in verse 46, where it says that they were uh, one accord in the temple and house to house or in each other's homes, that tells you that they would meet in bigger gatherings and they were involved with each other individually, household to household. So they were in each other's houses, not just for gatherings for the church, for teaching or prayer, but in relationships with each other. And Paul also says here, he kept back nothing that was helpful. So whatever he had to say that he knew would help people, he would share it with people. And he did that in groups and he did that households at a time. So being in fellowship, practically, in order to cultivate that simply means, hey, we should hang out with each other. We should be in each other's homes. That's a practical way that you can apply this. And for my wife and I in our uh, fellowship, we've just simply made a habit of we have our weekly gatherings with the church, and then we make an effort to meet with individuals either at our house or somewhere else or their house, or we'll get dinner somewhere or whatever. In the summer, we'll spend more time outside. Sometimes we'll go to parks or whatever, but we make an effort to be with individuals, not just groups. And when Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, that can be a big group or that can be you and one other believer. It's still assembling, right? And that is, a, that is meant to be a commitment. That's why he says, don't forsake assembling together. Being in fellowship means being committed to the people in that fellowship, committed to building relationship with them, committed to being helpful to them, committed to building them up, that is what being the church means. You will, of course, receive from those relationships as well. It's not just giving. There's receiving at the same time. But a commitment to those relationships, like Paul expresses in Acts 20 here, is what being in fellowship means. Publicly and from house to house. That's how we play that out, practically, when it comes to fellowship. Then he says the breaking of bread, which, of course, is closely connected. That's where he adds that being in each other's homes to share meals is important. Jesus himself was the first one to do this when it came to establishing the Christian faith. He would build relationships with unbelievers. For example, in Matthew 9, he calls Levi, who's also named Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, who's a tax collector, and just walks up to him and says, follow me. And uh, he leaves the tax office and follows him. To this day, I still don't know why that happened so easily. <laughs> he says, follow me. Okay. Um, so he does anyway. And then it says Jesus was dining in Matthew's house that evening. And then it says many tax collectors and sinners were gathered to him. So obviously Levi gathered all his tax collector buddies, apparently. And they were in Levi's house, Matthew's house, and Jesus ate with them. And then the Pharisees criticized him for it because he's dining with tax collectors and sinners, right? And then Jesus says, I've come to call uh, the sick to be healed, not to call those who are already well. Or I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance, right? So Jesus was the first one that started this. Being with people to eat with them. And practically, it's because when you, when you share meals with people, it helps walls come down. 
especially if it's people who are new, newer to you, you are new to them. Sharing a meal with somebody is a easy way of beginning and cultivating relationships because if you you can be distracted from the awkwardness with eating, right? It can look that way sometimes, you know. But even as you grow closer with people, we we bond over food. That's just how God designed it. It's how He made it. I don't know exactly why that's how we decided to do it, but. Being in fellowship and including in that fellowship, eating and sharing meals with other believers helps us bond. It helps us grow closer. And so we should definitely be serving each other hospitably by also sharing food. Believers, Jesus did that. Believers always did that through the book of Acts. And there's even a place in Acts chapter 19 where it specifically says that they came together to break bread. That's one of the places in the book of Acts where it actually says that church, if we're to use that word, was considered when the believers came together to eat. That's what they called it. These days we call it, you know, go to church. For them it was, we're going to go break bread. We're going to eat. That's just what they did. You know? they, that was very important to them, to share, meal, share meals together. So we should do the same. right? Just real practical thing. To add to it, and then the last thing in Acts 2 is prayer. Prayer is something that was done just like teaching in groups. It was also done individually, as in with households, with individuals. And I can tell you, just speaking from both scripture and experience, that when you make a commitment to pray for other believers, and you really mean it, not obligatorily, but from your heart, you, you pray for other believers, that helps you bond with them just in your own attitude about them. Especially people that maybe there's a temptation to be offended or whatever. If you make an effort to pray, it, that forces you to think about them through a lens of God's love for them. And then out of that, you pray for them. That helps you think positively about them. And that helps you bond with them. That's why praying for believers is so important. Prayer is a way that we bond. Is really this... One of the ways that we bond is a simple way of saying that. You tie it all together. This is how we'll close. Christ is number one. Put him first. Knowing him, we discussed that. That includes putting his kingdom first. If you're putting his kingdom first, you want to honor his name and his kingdom with your family and your work life. So it beautifies the gospel rather than blaspheming it. And to put Christ first and serve him first, you would serve other believers. Put your relationships first. And in those relationships, you serve each other by continuing in the apostles' doctrine, reading and doing the word and treating that seriously by gathering often and building relationships, building those relationships by sharing meals together, meeting in groups and house to house or one-on-one. -on -one. Also, pray together and pray for other believers in your own time to help deepen those bonds. And as a result, 
in that process, you will be honoring and serving Christ first so that when you stand before Jesus, like Matthew 25 says, on the day of judgment, he'll say, come, blessed of my Father, into the everlasting kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world because I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, you came to me, you served me because of how you served who? Others. If you want to put Jesus first, who do you put first? Others. For the sake of his name and his kingdom to bring him honor. That's how we live our lives. Amen? Okay. Any questions or comments about anything? thing we have in common that we we share with everyone yeah mm-hmm yep yeah yeah good observation yeah yeah any other questions a chance Definitely. Yep. Yeah. One practical recommendation that this will be so helpful for all of you when it comes to just your own time in the word. Because everything is about putting the kingdom and inputting the kingdom, putting others first. And that's the attitude you're supposed to have about everything. Try when you read your Bible, whether it's in the morning or evening or whenever you read, rather than reading it to grow your own knowledge, Try reading it to look for something that will help you serve others. So when you read, just think about how can I use this? How can I use this chapter I've just read to help someone else so that I serve the kingdom? How can God be glorified and other people benefited by what I'm reading here? And you will have takeaways, conclusions, insights that will come to you more effectively because instead of thinking about yourself, you're thinking about the kingdom and others, right? And that, that will help you know too, oh, there's this person that I think is struggling with this or that and maybe I could text this scripture to them and my takeaway, maybe that will help them today. It can be that simple, you know? Just think about how, how can I help somebody else with what I'm reading, right? That's a practical way you can put action to what you read, right? In addition to, of course, doing in your own life what that scripture says, but an action you can take at the very least is taking what you've learned and applying it to somebody else to help them. 
to something practical. That's really great to do. That's helped me a lot when it comes to learning things. Just think about others. Think about the kingdom. You know. Okay. I'll say a closing prayer, and then we'll wrap up. So, Father, thank you for bringing us together again, and thank you for what we've learned today. Help us to put you first, your kingdom first, your name first. Help us to not be afraid or worried or stressed or anxious about any of this, but to know that you take care of us, and if we put your kingdom first, you say that everything we need will be added to us. And so help us understand that and take rest and peace in it and knowing that putting you first means putting other fir- others first and serving others and helping others. Help us to gather often, to continue in the apostles' doctrine, to be in fellowship and break bread and pray together and help us keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, like your word says, and that above everything else we'd have fervent love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins that all of our problems, all the issues we have, that everything would be fixed if we would have love for one another and live that out. So help us to have love and focus on you and help us to rejoice and enjoy the rest of our evening in your creation and in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Feel free to stick around if you want. Otherwise...